Hi guys, this is Stephen McKee again. And today I want to talk about why revival still tarries. And it, the answer might not be what we think. Um, the UK, Scotland, different nations in the world have been promised revivals for a long time. Like in Scotland, the UK, we've had a, a, a prophecy that's well known. It was a vision given to Jean Donnell, where she saw groups of people meeting all across Scotland, especially the north. And then suddenly there was, there was fire, like fire all over Scotland in different locations. And then the lightning struck the fire. Then the fire came from the north to the south and east and the west. But that was a long time ago. That was like, I think, 1967 or maybe it was 1969. I think it was 1969, which was a long, long time ago. And... I remember reading a book called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. It was very thought-provoking, very direct, very powerful. Some might say it was too condemning of the modern church. And, and maybe some of it was, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe we need that discipline. Maybe we need to hear something like a, a father to, to a child that's maybe going down the wrong path, it's maybe or a young person going down the wrong path into alcoholism or drugs, sometimes you've got to be a bit more harsh, a bit more direct to try and awaken that person to the dangers. And and I want to just call this little video Why Revival Still Tarries. And some of the answers might not be what we think because... We've got to ask the question, what, is there something wrong? Is it just God's timing? What, is it, why haven't we seen it? And I just want to, I mean, is it like a prayer? Like, how is our prayer life? Are, are we praying? Are we engaging God? Are we going beyond the veil and, and spending time with the Lord? Like the saints of old, what the Celtic saints. I don't believe we are, but we should be in a, a Sometimes when we say these things, it's, it's people accuse you of being, oh, we can't put our burden on people, we cannot. But if we don't get before the Lord and really get to know him, look what's happened with the coronavirus, the whole church has been shut down, governments, everything have been in chaos, like cities are shut down, locked down, we're all in lockdown. Okay, it might be seemingly passing or, or it could come back in the winter, who knows, but somebody's got to get a hold of the Lord. Somebody's got to get in the secret place and wrestle the Lord like Jacob. I know we're in a new covenant and people say, well, that's old covenant, you don't need to do that now because we're, we've got it all now. But yeah, well, we're not manifesting it all, are we? Something is not functioning as it should. The people who say, we've got it all, we don't need to do anything anymore. Well, where is it? Why are we not? Why is our shadows not healing? Why are we not healing the sick? Why are we not going out there? And because we're there, a, a radius of 30, 40 miles, everybody gets healed or, or delivered or saved. Like Peter's shadow. Why is what we call revival still tarrying? Why are we not seeing these things? I believe the church is supposed to go from glory to even greater levels of glory. And prayer, is it prayer? I believe so. And maybe we feel condemned by that, thinking, oh, that's a heavy burden. Well, Paul said we need to pray without ceasing. 
So that means prayer is not just going into your room and shutting yourself in a room. Maybe a lot of people can't do that. But we've got to know him. We've got to go into that place like the saints of old, Madame Guion, Brother Lawrence, where we can practice the presence, where we can get to know him, whether we're working, whether we're still taking care of our family, household, chores. We've got to get into his presence. We've got to get to know him. You know, one of the things I believe that hinders revival is that we are pretty satisfied, or maybe maybe we're not now, but we were before the shutdown, pretty satisfied with our churches, pretty satisfied with our programs, pretty satisfied with our evangelistic ministries. Like, we were satisfied. We're not longing and hungering for God the way Evan Roberts was in Wales. Evan Roberts was disturbed. He was disturbed. He even used that word disturbed because of the state of Christianity. Like what state are we in where we were locked down the same as the world? We were not able to show any answers during the lockdown. We were just as powerless as everybody else. We were hiding from the coronavirus and so was I. I'm not condemning anybody. But why is it we are not like John G. Lake, where he could put the, the the plague on his hand and under a microscope watch it disappear and die? Well, maybe it's because we are not seeking God like John G. Lake did before that happened. John G. Lake didn't just uh, that didn't just happen one day. He pursued the Lord, and people kept telling him, "You've arrived." Every time something happened in his life, if like it, it had something from the Lord he received, like the, the baptism of the Spirit, or he called it a sanctification process. You've arrived, you've arrived. But he knew, I haven't, I haven't. Until one day, when he was pursuing God, I think he prayed and fasted for nine months, a cloud came and engulfed him. He was engulfed in the cloud. And just like what Evan Roberts said, John G. Lake said, it changed his very nature. See, that was being sanctified, that was being made holy, that was being changed. And he said that that cloud, when it came, did not just visit this time. It remained. It remained. And he said it was then he became a Christ man. Can I suggest that we are looking for revival? And maybe we're looking for some event. Whereas God is actually looking for us to be transformed into the image of Christ. Can I suggest that we've needed revivals and we still need revivals because of where we're at? And I love revivals and I love the word revival and I love outpourings. But can I suggest that God has got something greater than revival? You see, we are looking for that next event. We're looking for that next outpouring. And listen, I, I, if there was a revival somewhere tomorrow at the Hebrides, I would go. But God is a bigger dream. God is something greater than just us having a revival. You know, anything we've ever read in terms of revival is, is not the fullness. You see, God showed me this a while ago, and maybe some of you have heard me saying this. There was three feasts in Israel. 
Well, the children of Israel were told, or the men actually were told to go to Jerusalem. It was a meeting, an engagement with God. One was Passover, the second was Pentecost, the third was Tabernacles. Passover obviously represents the cross, the blood, salvation, been born again, from been born above, and that is glorious. But for those who want more, there was a second, obviously, Pentecost. And Pentecost represents the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out. There was a sound from heaven. 3,000 people saved in a day. And we've been living in that era ever since. It, it kind of faded in the dark ages. But then the, the glorious voices of apostles and prophets or the Spirit began to be poured out through people like in William Seymour. And there's always been outpourings and people got moving and people been baptised. But it came in a, a global way again. In 1906, through William Seymour in Azusa Street. And even the cloud of his presence came and the children could play in the cloud. And there's been a glorious emphasis on Pentecost, on the gifts, on the baptism of the Spirit being filled. And that's amazing. But somehow, we've got to where we are now. And I remember growing up in Pentecostal meetings and going to a convention in South Wales in the Apostolic Church and the glorious presence, the singing, the worship, the prophecy. It was like hearing oracles speak as God began to reveal his will for people and individuals and nations. As the oracles would speak and prophesy because of the outpouring of the Spirit. Mighty Pentecostal outpouring. And then you've heard of revivals in Lewis and different revivals throughout the earth. Pentecostal revivals. But can I suggest that there's something beyond that? Because those are like visitation. Let me just read 2 Corinthians one twenty-two, And it says this, He has also appropriated in it and acknowledged us as his. By putting his seal upon us and giving us his Holy Spirit in our hearts as a security and deposit and guarantee of the fulfilment of his promise. Let me just read that from, this is a Knox translation. It is he who has anointed us, just as it is he who has put his seal in us and given us the foretaste of his Spirit in our heart. The foretaste. We're not experiencing the fullness right now. There's something about the foretaste. Romans 8.23 might make it more clear what I'm saying. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit growing inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, we have been given the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits, like Pentecost is a first fruits festival. In other words, this is like a foretaste of something to come. This is a, a down payment. When you get a down payment, it, or you give a down payment, it means there's, that's not the full amount yet. Yes, Jesus has died and he has said it is finished. He has died and everything, all, every spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms in Christ. 
But yeah, we're not functioning out of that fullness yet. Because we've been given a foretaste. Every revival is a foretaste. Pentecost was a foretaste. The revivals we've had in Scotland, the Hebrides, I believe is a foretaste. The Welsh revival. Everything we've seen. So, what is it that hinders revival? Why, Why revival still tarries? Maybe revival still tarries because we are looking for something far, far less than what the Lord has in his heart. You see, we're looking for an event, but Christ is looking for the transformation of people into the image of Christ. The Lord Yahweh himself is looking for Christ ones across the planet who don't rely on an outpouring or an event or revival, but who become utterly yielded to the Holy Spirit, utterly yielded to Christ, utterly dead to self, the crucified ones, ones who are willing to give up their life, to sow their life into the soil so that it does not abide alone. Those who are willing to lose their life so that they can find true life. Those who are willing to truly be crucified, but that's not the end. When we live in that place where we consider ourselves dead, where we are no longer living for ourselves, where we are totally yielded to the Holy Spirit. Like Catherine Kuhlman said, I could take you to the place where Catherine died. And she said before she went on the platform every night, she died a thousand deaths. But that's not the end though. Because it's in that place of death, it's in that place where we are total yielded vessels, emptied vessels, where we begin to experience the resurrection life. And you see, it's that resurrection life that God's dream is for. It's not to pour out the Spirit in a sense just for an event, just so that we can have good meetings and we call it revival, where we have gatherings and call it revival. No, he's looking for the ones who are yielded, who are in the secret place, who are in deep, the depths of Christ, letting Christ be formed in them, in the secret place, praying, praying in the lockdown, praying in the daytime and the nighttime, not necessarily locked in the room, but that inward journey. You see, we're looking for another Pentecost, and Pentecost is coming up soon. And absolutely, we need Pentecost. You, you never do away with Pentecost. Like, you never do away with Passover. But Pentecost is the first fruits. You see, the other festival was pointing prophetically to something beyond Pentecost. Tabernacles. What does tabernacles represent? It represents the fullness. Pentecost is the first fruits. Tabernacles is the fullness of the promise. It's us walking in the fullness of the Spirit. It's us being possessed by Christ. He came and tabernacled amongst us. He tabernacled amongst the children of Israel. 
he tabernacles in us, but he's not fully moving through us yet. But there's a generation of the crucified ones, for those who want it, for those who don't want to do things as we've always been doing it. We cannot just do church as we've been doing it. We cannot settle for evangelism as it is, thinking we're doing well. When all the time if we allow that fire of Pentecost, see Pentecost wasn't supposed to be just about gifts. It's really about the fire. It's about the fire that remained in every one of their heads. What's the fire about? The fire that sanctifies, the fire that burns up all dross. You see, Smith Wigglesworth said, there's a fire that comes and burns, and when it comes and burns, it burns up all inward corruption. Madame Guillon said, there's a fire that comes and it consumes you, making you ready, preparing you for divine union. You see, God's looking for those who are in union, who walk with God. You see, that's why it's beyond revival. Because you can have revival and people can be touched at a very a deep level. I mean, in Isle of Lewis, it was extremely deep. The Hebridean revivals were deep. But it's not supposed to fade away. Like after three years or four years, it's supposed to be that there's ones who emerge full of the Spirit. Jesus was full of the Spirit all the days he was on earth. All the days. There's a place in God where we can be full of the Spirit. And it doesn't fade. It may be unseen. It may be that we're hidden for a while. And God says, don't go anywhere. Stay. Hide. And no one sees revival. No one sees the wind and where it blows and where it comes and where it goes. But you're one with the Lord. You're one with him in intimacy. You're his friend. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're walking in that realm of holiness. You've dug deep in the secret place. And for those who are willing to dig deep, to come off the treadmill of doing churches, we've done it, thinking we're doing well, when we're just touching the very surface of people's souls, what about those times where we can walk into a room and people fall to the ground and weep? Cut to the heart. Like Charles Finney. He said he had to whisper when he spoke. Because even a whisper, when he was speaking about the gospel, it said people were cut to the heart. He, he functioned in that level. Many have functioned in that level. The Celtic saints functioned in that level. You see, revival still tarries because we're looking for an event, whereas God really has a dream much bigger than just visitation. His dream is to have a corporate body where God himself can dwell. Not visit. Not visit here or there. Jesus said the kingdom of God is not here or there. It's within you. God is looking for a people where he himself can come and dwell. It's the corporate man. The mature man. This is the fulfilled purpose of the apostolic. 
We have stopped. Let me read it. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. It says, He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. We've stopped there. For the work of service. We like that, but we've stopped there. To the building up of the body of Christ. Until. Until. We all attain to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature man. Or the King James says a perfect man. To the measure of the stature. Which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You see, God set his government in place of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers not to network, just have a, to, to rule over a network, to lead a network. That doesn't make you an apostle. It's really, the whole purpose of the true apostolic is not just to train you for service. We've learned how to do that very well. We train people how to evangelise, how to prophesy. But that's the very lowest level. There's something beyond there's something beyond just training to prophesy and we're all prophesying and that's great but it's still at the very childish level because there's something beyond the gifts. There's something beyond just functioning the gifts and it's functioning out of the fullness of Christ. And we've stopped at the training people how to serve until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The knowledge of the Son of God. It's, the ultimate isn't just to sit under a prophet or an apostle or an evangelist and learn how to evangelize, learn how to prophesy, learn how to do apostolic things. The true purpose, the main purpose is, is so that we can come into the knowledge of the Son of God. Not head knowledge, but that intimate, real Knowledge where we are utterly in love with him, possessed with him, in unity with him, in union with the Son of God. Walking in fullness so that as we, we won't even need to try and evangelise because people will walk past you and come under that presence of Almighty God. Why does revival still tire? Because God is looking for those who are willing to go deeper. So that it's not one man. Or one woman, it's not just a one-man revival with one man on a platform. You see the true church in, in Corinthians said that one was supposed to bring a psalm, someone else a hymn, someone a prophecy, someone a tongue, someone an interpretation. The whole body is supposed to function out of fullness. The whole body is supposed to be bringing something to the table. Not a one-man show the way we've been doing church. Not a one-man band, not, not a one band, but everyone can bring a song or a hymn, or a poem, or something, a prophetic word, so that the whole body begins to mature into the full stature of Christ. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, we are, some of us have stopped as a church at just Passover, and listen, you can stop there forever because the Passover, the revelation of the cross, the revelation of our own salvation and being born from above, being born in the spirit is utterly, you could be there for eternity exploring it. But then there's a Pentecostal experience where you experience the spirit of God coming upon us and the fire of God. 
But maybe some of us haven't even experienced that because I think we've dumbed that down as well so that you just get a little gift of tongues and that's you got it. Do you know, that's not it. When I read about the, the baptisms in the Spirit in the early movement, people were changed forever when they were baptised in the Spirit. You see, baptised means saturated in God. We get someone to speak a few words in tongues and say, you've got it. It's a baptism in the Spirit, not baptised in tongues. Tongues is an amazing gift, but that is not being immersed in God. That tongue should come out of that place where you are immersed in God. It's an expression of being immersed in God. But we've dumbed it down. But there's something even beyond Pentecost. There's something beyond revival. And I'm not saying we don't have revival. We maybe need revival to get us back up to the place where we should be. But then there's something beyond that and it's actually a company of people on the earth who function out of the full stature of Christ. What does that mean? We are one with him. We are one with his mind. No longer our opinions. No longer our ideas. No longer our programs. Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. A people possessed by him, filled by him. The spirit of the Lord upon us. The spirit of the Lord upon a generation. Being filled where he himself can build a holy temple, Ephesians 2.22. He builds a holy temple where it's not just visitation, but it's habitation. It's the fullness of Christ dwelling amongst us. And suddenly is the body of Christ. We're no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Why? Because we are suddenly filled with the full stature of Christ. Suddenly we are in a place where we function out of the full knowledge of the Son of God. A corporate body filled, not an event, not an event, but a place in us where God dwells, a time of transformation, a time where we are totally possessed by God, where we are changed from glory to glory. And we will not even need to try and evangelise because the fullness of the Spirit of God in us will flow through us. And suddenly, even, even a glance of our eyes, even a glance of our eyes. Do you know they said that about Solomon? He could make, bring a judgement to a situation just by one glance of his eyes. Charles Finney, that happened through him. Because when he went to the factory, the woman was mocking him and he just looked at her with tears in his eyes and she began to weep. There's a place where we will not even need to try and evangelise. There's a place where the spirit of the fear of God will be upon us. And for some, they will experience the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God. And it's all the goodness of God. But for others, they will experience the fear of the Lord and the conviction of sin again. And we need that spirit of truth to be with us again. But it all comes from the fullness 
And that's why this won't be a revival that comes and goes. That's why this is God's dream for a corporate body to be filled and flooded with God himself, where he has a body on the earth, where he can administrate his kingdom, his government, through us to the earth and to all creation, because all creation is groaning for this. Why does revival still tarry? Because maybe we're waiting on revival. And God is actually looking for a corporate body to be filled with the fullness. Thanks, guys. I, I hope you get what I'm saying and get my heart. And don't miss here what I'm saying. I love revival. But God's dream is for far greater. It's not even another Pentecost. It's the fullness of tabernacles. Thanks, guys. <laughs>